Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Johnny Gregoric's Blue Jean Mile, and I'm going to get to that in just a second because my guest for today's episode is Johnny Gregoric. Johnny is a professional runner for ASICS and a member of the New Jersey New York Track Club. He is the second fastest American indoor miler in history. His 349.98 personal best is just behind Bernardo Gatz's 349.89. His other personal bests include 335 for the 1500, and he was a member of the U.S. national team for the 2017 World Championships in London, where he made the final in the 1500 and finished 10th in the world. He was an All-American for Columbia and Oregon, so on this episode we'll take a deep dive into his career thus far. He's certainly someone who's in the mix for an Olympic team spot next year. Uh, But this Saturday, actually, May 30th, He will be spiking up for a world record attempt. He will be going for the aforementioned Blue Jean Mile world record. That record is 4.11.80, set by Dylan Maggard back in November 2017, I believe. So who knows if Sub 4 is in the cards. But not only is Johnny providing the world with some good old-fashioned entertainment right now in a time when there's no races, but he's also doing this all for a great cause. He's already raised more than $12,000 for the National Alliance on Mental Illness in memory of his brother and for Mental Health Awareness Month. We talk about all of that and more. So I'm excited to see how he runs. Sidious Mag originally popularized the Blue Jean Mile in 2017, all because of a silly blog post by Paul Snyder. And we said that we'd cough up some money for the first person to break four minutes in a pair of blue jeans. There's obviously some rules as to the amount of denim that uh, the runner has to wear. So Johnny, I believe, is running in a pair of Levi's that are 100% denim or cotton. So City Smag will be donating $1,000 for a sub-4. We will be donating $500 if Johnny breaks the world record. And regardless, we'll be cutting a check for at least $250. So if you want more information about Johnny's attempt, Paul Snyder has covered it extensively for City Smag. So there's an article up on the site about that. And you can also visit the link in Johnny's bio on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever your uh, preferable social media platform is. Hit the link in his bio if you'd like to donate. It's all for a great cause, and it's some good old-fashioned nice entertainment. So without further ado, here is Johnny Gregoric. And now we welcome on Johnny Gregoric. Johnny, first time on the podcast, but I guess like I've interviewed you a bunch of times like over the years. And most recently we did a Sports Illustrated piece together. But um, and it was like kind of maybe like two weeks after like the Olympics got postponed. And yeah. now it's been like maybe five or six weeks. So what has changed in that span of time and how have you been occupying your days? That's a great question, Chris. Um, you know, I think when you talked to me, I think we were still kind of in the throes of uncertainty. I don't even know if the Olympics had been officially rescheduled or what at that point, but um, I would say that now it's just, we've kind of hit our stride with uh, getting into routine of working out and doing our sort of thing of like, obviously we can't meet for big practices or anything like that. So I would say just between when I talked to you for that article a month ago and now it's just been a matter of things becoming normalized like this new this new training lifestyle we have which is just doing a lot of runs alone and then just working at you know training from more of a a strength standpoint and not really 
worrying about like races because there isn't really anything on the calendar yet. That being said, I think there is a little bit more uh, clarity on, you know, the Diamond League rolled out that they're going to have some races coming up and hoping for hoping for some fast times and some good races. I mean, if, if it's safe and whatnot in like September, October. So I would say just having that sort of on the schedule and having some some big things on the schedule and things to be working towards and a little bit less uncertainty. And, and you know, of course, we got the big the biggest thing on the schedule next next Saturday. So. Yeah, the Blue Jean Mile. So what made you want to do that? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I really decided to do it officially right after I talked to you. Maybe maybe it was just I had that Sidious Mag. You guys are the ones who kind of plugged this initially. I had that, like, subliminal thing going after I talked to you. I don't know. It just came to me. But, uh, yeah, I remember Snyder, Paul Snyder, had, like, come up with that idea, and people had been doing it and running some pretty fast times, and it's funny and stuff. But – I just figured I could attach some sort of uh, awareness cause to it. And with mental health awareness month had been coming up and I, it had been on my mind that I wanted to do something special. And Amy and I and my family wanted to do a little something special. Um, and so we just, I just decided to, to attach that cause to this event. And it just seemed like it would be fun. And also I could, you know, raise some awareness for mental health and, uh, you know, it just uh, it all came together nicely. And then here we are and the, the support and everything has been insane. So it's a lot of fun. Initially, what was the bar of like what you wanted to fundraise? I remember first clicking on it and it was just like, uh, like $2,500 or maybe even $5,000. Yeah. And now at this point, you've raised more than $10,000. Yeah, it's, it's, again, the, the outreach has been wild and the generosity is so unexpected. But appreciated i when we went into it it wasn't even it was more of just an act of of yeah just getting getting some awareness out there um and it was more of something i wanted to do in memory of my brother uh you know for those listening who don't know my brother patrick passed away last uh, march of 2019 um after struggling a long time with uh depression and anxiety and that sort of thing so it was uh you know it was just a it was a tough time and and i think that we just wanted to do something sort of in his memory and and that was kind of a big part of it so it was more of like the the, the finance end it wasn't even necessarily a big thing it was like okay, okay we can also you know raise money for those who are in need and, and need the resources right now and our family has worked in conjunction with this organization called nami which is what i'm fundraising for which is national alliance on mental illness and we were just like you know what like this crazy time isolation people need this i bet that the resources are lacking and i bet that they're these organizations are strange so we'll also raise some money for it and yeah we just set out with like a meager a modest goal we just had no idea how where it would go or or what direction it would go in and and so yeah immediately like in in an hour it was like everything that we had kind of thought about the whole thing like in our mind it was just gonna be this fun little you know gesture that we did on instagram live one day and then in an hour it was like all right you know people are throwing out people are throwing out huge time goals and uh and people are also throwing out really really generous donations so you know you got to just roll with it and, and take it as it comes and i was like all right people people want the blue jean miles i'm gonna give it to them yeah because it started in 2017 when paul wrote the very silly blog post for us and then yeah. you know from there it kind of escalated people took their cracks at it and the world record is down to 411 um where how are you approaching this because you know the big thing is we would uh, i think paul initially mentioned it in the very first post it'd be awesome to see a sub four yeah. is that in the cards or like are we just thinking world record yeah. yeah you know that's uh 
I got to say that I'm going to run an all out mile in blue jeans, you know, and I've been training, I've been training well and I'm, I'm in good shape. Um, I'm in the same type of shape I'm in when I run fast miles. I can say that in sub four miles, I just honestly don't have the frame of reference of being in jeans after 200 meters. So we're going to all find out together what happens after 200 meters in jeans and, and Dylan, you know, the world record holder, great runner. So I'm not going to go in there and think that like, Oh yeah, no matter what, I'll easily smash the record and, and sub four is the real goal. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm focused on getting this record and getting it by as much of a margin as I can. And that's just going to be an all out mile in jeans. I'm not going to be out there jogging. That's for sure. And if it, and if it comes out to sub four, that'd be a nice, that'd be nice icing on the cake, I'd say. What does that do though for like the the allure and like the mystique of the sub four mile? Do you think like it puts a little bit of a damper on it where it's like, oh, you know, for years, like everyone has just wanted to join this club and there's 500 people who have done it. And all of a sudden there's going to be one guy who has done it in jeans and it's a little less special because of it. <laughs> I think that it's, you know, the times, the times change and the, the technology advances and we have some great spikes that we race in now and uh i'd say if roger banister could do it in the in the leather on the cinders and all that and you see the, the stuff he wore then why not uh, a little denim with the high-tech spikes i mean you know and, and again we're let's not put the car before the horse here we still got to get it done and and i hope the event even picks up more steam and more people do it i would love to someday be have like a stacked blue jean mile with like you know centro and craig and all the all the big milers in there just letting it rip i think that'd be a lot of fun and i think on that day we could see something crazy probably happen time-wise so if anything i'd like to just keep the keep the ball rolling with this event set a new bar and then uh who knows what happens from there what was uh gags's first reaction to you saying that i'm i want to run a mile in blue jeans because like you know there's obviously no races on the calendar right now so i mean you could be doing worse things with your time yeah, yeah, no, he, he was completely supportive. Um, I think Gags is the man when it comes to that sort of thing. And, and just he's, he's very close to my family, as is my coach, Tom Nohilly. And they were both uh, very much supportive of the cause and, and they were totally in favor of it. And, you know, Gags is immediately just like, great, let's do it. Blue Jean Mile. Sounds good. You know, no questions asked. Not even, doesn't even ask about the history of it. He's just like, good where do i where do i make the check out to <laughs> so, uh, he, he's he's the man and he's uh, yeah he's he's in favor so we're hoping he can watch from a car or something like that we'll see what happens but um yeah they, they were they were supportive yeah um so i, I do want to harpen back to the fact that you are doing this to raise you know more awareness for you know mental health in these times given how weird they are like mm-hmm. what have you been doing to kind of keep yourself you know at ease and and sort of I guess a phrase I've been throwing out is just like sane in like an insane world right now because what you really all you can do is kind of just be present in the moment and like take account of yourself and just make sure that everything is okay and you're kind of also putting others you know uh ahead of you by taking care of just yourself so what have you been doing yeah yeah Chris that's like right off the bat just what you say in there staying present and that sort of thing and really is just taking it a day at a time I think has been has been huge a lot of the you know mental health is is really important when it comes to just running in general when whether or not there's a, a pandemic going on and I think that I'm implementing a lot of the same tools that I implement just 
whenever I'm in, in season or training hard and whatnot, doing a lot of uh, meditation and, and trying to, I do a ton of journaling actually every morning and night. I like to just do like, you know, not a ton, but like five minutes of, of writing about like goals for the day and then like things, you know, I'm grateful for and things that have been going well, things to work on. And I, you know, take a little inventory at the end of the day of how things went, how I felt. And uh, I think that just checking in with yourself and just showing yourself compassion and being kind to yourself on a daily basis is just the way you can, like you said, do the best, not only for yourself, but for everyone around you, because you're going to be the best version of yourself and you're going to, you know, bring out the best in others and you can ideally help other people with if they're struggling. So that's kind of what I've been doing. What does it do for you when you go back and reread some of like those entries and like, you know, obviously not every day is perfect. So you don't get to check every single yeah. box. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that it's, it's, you really can see a lot of patterns happen. You can learn a lot about yourself. You can see how you bounce back from bad days and how you benefited from the good days. I, I do a lot of, uh, sometimes I'll go back before like a big race, take a highlighter or something like that. And I'll go through and highlight like just cool things I wrote to myself or cool quotes or anything like that. And same thing with like my training log, I'll like circle and bold all of like the big workouts and things that went really well. And I think that if you can just go back through and just find all the times that you came through and had a big peak after thinking that things weren't going to be great, you know, having a bad day and a week later you crushed your workout or, you know, just things went great after, after things going bad. And I think it's just, uh, yeah, you just got to keep checking in, go back and remind yourself that uh, you're awesome. You know? <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to this line that, I read from an interview that you did with track and field news where you said, I've had a lot more failures than I've had successes, a lot more bad races than I've had good ones. So where yeah. does this trend really for you begin? Because you are able to take inventory and take notes and be able to go back and see where you went wrong. Where does this all begin? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it everyone in their career faces like a good amount of, of failure and that either they're going to, not bring up a lot or gloss over or maybe they will embrace it and use it to teach a lesson and I think I like to do this I like to do the the latter there and I I you know I where it began I mean like anyone else life is just that's the way life is I I've had tons of times where I don't think I came out of the gates despite having my parents who were good runners and professional runners in their own right I didn't come out of the gates as some superstar and I think that along the way I've had so many times where I've taken the one step back and then the two steps forward the one step back two steps forward and I take a lot of pride in that honestly I think it's I think it's kind of cool to like have have been downtrodden and then climb your way out of it and you get injured and you climb your way out of it you get destroyed at NCAA cross country whatever no big deal get like 200 place bounce right back so I, I, I take a lot of pride in those in those days because you know as they say failure is the greatest teacher and uh and that's not to glorify failing necessarily <laughs> the goal is still to win and to run fast but it doesn't always happen and uh and i think that i've built so much consistency uh from the fact that i've had that much the, that many lessons taught to me that many times i've had my rear handed to me i want to go back to where it starts seekonk where yeah. What is, what is that? I, I've, you're like the pride of that, uh, of that town. <laughs> what, is, what is it like growing up there? Can you describe it to me? I'm, I'm a city kid here in, in, in New York, yeah. born and raised. So it's like, I don't know some of these smaller towns. Yeah, well, I, I am a huge uh, Seekonk guy. I mean, I'm born and raised, but also um, I'm always plugging it and always trying to bring friends back there and show it. It's, it's just an awesome, an awesome town. It's right on the edge of 
uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts border. So it's technically in Massachusetts, but you know, I identify a lot with the Rhode Island culture. It's right next to Providence, Rhode Island. So it's got this great mixture of a little bit of suburbia, but then you're like really five minutes from downtown Providence, like five minutes from being in a city. And uh, growing up, my parents uh, coached the track team, cross country teams at Brown University, which is in Providence, just right next door. So I think I got a little bit of both, a little bit of the city experience, a little bit of the country experience. And uh, like running, I wouldn't say it's a running Mecca, uh, we've had some great runners in our day come out of there, but it's, uh, you know, it's got some nice little trails and a lot of, a lot of roads, but I think that's just, that's the classic story of suburban running. It's just running on country roads and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a great town and a great place, place to be from. It's got tons of really cool, creative people who are just kind and open-minded and uh, it's just a wonderful place to grow up. And what was it like for you to have two parents who were like fairly accomplished like runners in their yeah. own right? I mean, your dad, two Olympic teams got to compete at one because of the first one was like the 1980 games. Yeah. Your mom is like a, you know, national champion did very well at the, yeah. at the Olympic trials. Um, oh, yeah. So you must've grown up around having, you know, photos and medals and, you know, team USA uniforms all around the house. <laughs> yeah, you would think so, but no, it was all packed away. My really? Family. Okay. <laughs> very humble people. And uh, no, there was a few, a few things that I knew like, um that they kind of gave it away that they were obviously really well like good runners and that sort of thing um but it wasn't I mean yeah there was like pictures like a picture here a picture there of them like winning races and I I would hear stories and I obviously I would go to tons of track meets because I because they were the coaches and uh so I had a lot of exposure to the sport but I didn't really grasp how good they were or anything you know actually a really uh I haven't really talked about this but a big moment was they got inducted into the Georgetown track and field hall of fame. And I went to that and I was like, maybe like eight years old or something like that. And I think that was just a huge moment of both. I think they were simultaneously inducted and just hearing like all their accolades and then seeing like that they were getting like ovations and people were like, you know, they're shaking hands and everyone was really into it. Made me think like, wow, all right, this is a, this is pretty cool. Like this is a big deal. And then, uh, yeah, just the more I, as I grew up and especially as I got into running myself, you learn a little bit more about like, you know, when you're a freshman and you're like, okay, so my mom ran too flat in the 800 and you're like, well, my PR is 208. So you're like, all right, we got to get, we got to work hard if I'm going to be my mom's PR in this event. And then, you know, and then you find out the times that your dad ran and, and the performances he put up and you hear the legends of like the, him kicking down people to win pen relays titles and this thing. And it kind of just, steamrolled and steamrolled and got me more and more inspired and got me looking up to them more and asking them more and more questions and changed my mindset from like running's lame you should be a baseball player to thinking like you know what if you do it right running can be very cool so uh, I'm, I'm thankful to have had that experience honestly and have grown up that way because it just uh, inspired me it's always you know so you mentioned baseball. I mean, so it doesn't, it doesn't sound at all like they rushed you into the sport. No. And you kind of like even figure, I mean, this is like kind of what David Epstein's book is, is about. Sometimes you have, you know, these satellite parents who want to, you know, have their kids specialize in something. And because yeah. they have the experience, like you, they kind of consider themselves experts. And it's not, you know, the, it's not an, always the perfect formula. So was it you approaching your parents more to get into running or was it all just something that seamlessly happened? Yeah. I mean, I think you make a, a great point with the, the whole satellite parents thing. And I think that 
if you go across any sport, the professional athletes, for the most part, aren't going to be people who are like forced by their parents to LeBron James wasn't forced to play basketball. I mean, just, but then again, not everyone's a Tiger Woods where it yeah, was yeah, this thing really early point. on. Yeah, that's a good point. So there are a few of those in there, but uh, no, I mean, my, I, I would run like, I liked winning. I, I've always been competitive and I would run like the little kids race and uh, at like this, there was this race called the CVS downtown 5k, the Providence 5k. It was like the U S 5k chains for a while. That had been going on forever. And uh, my dad actually won the inaugural one in like the early 90s or something like that. But I used to run that every year. And I would run that was the only race I did. I ran the kids race. I'd wear like, you know, the t-shirt that's down to your knees with the shoes that are too big for you. And uh, I remember winning it like the first time I did it. And it was I think it might have been like two laps around like the city square or something like that. It was something super short, maybe like half mile. And I remember coming around the turn and like winning and like the crowd going wild. And I remember the announcer. Uh, is this this Irishman named Charlie Reagan? He was like, he's a chip off the old block. As I came around the turn, I remember them saying he's a chip off the old block, and uh, and that just made me like super proud and excited. And and I didn't really want to run like full time, or you know, obviously I, I was like eight at that time, but you know, throughout growing up, I didn't want to train or anything like that. I just liked competing and winning. And then uh, when I got serious with it, was probably not until high school, and it was. I really came from a different direction because I I did just want to join the team because like my older sister ran and and my parents like also ran a cross country camp so we would go to the cross country camp growing up and I would go and like hang out with the high school kids and I just saw how much fun they had and I saw like the camaraderie of the sport and how cool the different characters were and I really looked up to a lot of like the high school guys and on the team and saw how much fun the sport was and how it was kind of carefree and they were kind of like mischievous but also you know, they, they did the sport that my family was so good at. So I was like, okay, I can have fun. I can be competitive. I can be goofy. I can be myself. And so I, I uh, just, yeah, walked down to the team my freshman year and the rest was history, really. So that's how I, my parents at no point were like, you need to run or you need to start training hard or anything like that. It's always been my own discovery, which I'm really thankful for. And from my understanding is like, they weren't, they weren't your high school coach either. Like they kind of let yeah. the reins go yeah. and you had your own development there. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yep. My high school coaches, uh, you know, are definitely, they were great and they, they set me up perfectly for to have like a lot of gas in the tank, obviously for running in college and beyond. And I'm thankful to, you know, there's a lot of programs where the kids train really hard and all power to them because they run in crazy times. High schoolers are like crushing it right now, but I was super thankful to just have been, come from a much more relaxed situation where I was taught, you know, the, I was taught the basics of how to train and how to stay healthy and how to compete. And, and that was about it. And then it kind of, yeah, it was just uh, left a lot in the tank for the later years. What was that early development like? Like, what did you want to do? Like, obviously you knew yeah. your dad was, you know, a really good steeplechaser and a really good miler. Yeah. Uh, so that's, those are huge footsteps to to follow and uh was, yeah. but but did you kind of also embrace that challenge just from I mean I granted as a high schooler seeing your father's PRs must have been just like yeah. so that's not that's not me it yet was, yeah it was like a different planet it was like a different planet of of ability and or of anything I even dreamed of really doing myself at the same like I was into the idea of running a sub four minute mile and that sort of thing but it was I was also kind of into the in a lot of things I I you know, was really into like what I was going to do with my career and that sort of thing. And I had, I actually had aspirations to go to the Naval Academy, the U.S. Naval Academy. It was like my big thing. I really wanted to like 
join join the navy and why was that yeah that whole thing um i just you know growing up near the water i loved i loved that and i was an eagle scout and in the boy scouts and i loved that lifestyle and i you know i it's more memorial day so i believe in uh you know serving your country and that and i felt called to it at the time and it uh so i i was really like had all these different aspirations and running was something i loved and i loved to compete but it was there was nothing in my mind early on at least that was like i am going to be like Johnny Gregoric Jr. and I'm going to follow in the footsteps of the family tradition. That's just been something that has just happened that has sort of unfolded as, I, as I've just kind of taken it year by year and found out that like, oh, I can be a little better. I can be a little better. I can be a little better. So um, yeah, I don't know where I've kind of got off track there, but. No, um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then eventually from when we worked on the story for sports illustrated you mentioned that in 2008 you got to go to the trials with your dad yeah. and then that was like if you know seeing him inducted into the georgetown hall of fame along with your mom was like the first light bulb that went off like this was yeah, another yeah. major one that happened because Absolutely. you know for that it was like you got to see him honored because you know i guess you can probably tell the story much better yeah. that was about you know honoring the 1980 team who didn't get to go to the olympics so you were just surrounded yeah. by all these legends was it just like a trip of just story after story being shared with you yeah it, yeah it was it was really cool i um so my dad yeah had this opportunity to go go to the be honored at the trials for the 1980 team that that was boycotted and and you actually had a plus one and, and naturally you know it was to be my mom that would go with him and my mom had the really cool idea of saying no why don't you take Johnny so we can see Eugene you can see because my parents did spend some time in Eugene training there and uh and they had family friends there and they just and just so I can see what Olympic trials is like when I can see what, what the sport at its you know the Olympic trials has to be considered one of the pinnacles uh, in terms of just like pure hype and electricity of attract me and you're like 16 so, at the time too yeah, yeah so I'm yeah 15 16 and I so I'm ripe for like getting inspired and, you know, I'm, I'm into Prefontaine. I've just found out who Prefontaine is. So, of course, I'm like, all right, I get, yeah, I got to go to Tracktown, USA. So it was a crazy experience. And, uh, and just seeing, like, the way the stadium just exploded. And, and I remember, like, huge burned into my mind is that 800 final, the Weeding and, and uh, Simmons and um, oh, who died? Christian, over the Christian Smith. Christian Smith diving at the line. And so, like, it was, like, the loudest thing I'd ever heard, you know, way louder than any, like, Red Sox or Patriots game or anything like that. And I was like, oh, man, this sport can get up when it's, like, when it needs to. Like, this, this can get wild. And, uh, and yeah, that just, that just put, put another fire in me and made it a little bit more – while I still had those aspirations to do a lot of other things with my life, I was, I was really into the idea of, you know, at least competing at, at a level where I could at least get into that sort of electric environment. And – I was rubbing rubbing elbows with a lot of uh, legends who I didn't even at the time. It was kind of funny because I was like hanging out with like Vin Lanana and I'm hanging out with like Mary Slaney and I'm hanging out with uh, Steve Scott was like my buddy the whole time. It was like me and Steve just like palling around like buddy <laughs> comedy. And, uh, and so I was like, yeah, Steve's the man. I had no idea anything about his. I knew he was good and everything, but as time went on, I was like, oh my gosh, he was an animal. So <laughs> it was, it was really nice to be around all these people who, who were just so obviously in the 1980s were, were the sport. I was hanging out with Centro Senior and, uh, and it was, it was just super inspiring. And again, it's the same, the same sort of camaraderie that you'll find in your high school cross country team was the camaraderie I was finding with my dad and his old running friends and 
was finding with the community and all these legends, the way they all talked and got along with each other. And I was like, man, this community is so unique. Like running is such a, such a unique niche thing, but it's, it's awesome. So I, yeah, that definitely got me excited to be a part of it. Um, before that, were you yes. already picking your dad's brain about, you know, past stories of, you know, what was it like to run in like this dream mile in like Oslo or like, or was that just a turning point where all of a sudden you realize that there are all these stories you maybe haven't heard? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, that's definitely it's exponentially after that I was asking questions and, um, and, you know, I, I listened like growing up, I had, listen to uh, a lot of like speeches that my parents would give when we go they go around and you know speak to high school teams or, or whatnot or speak at camps and we would just be the you know the kids they would take take with us um there's like a famous story about my sister actually like sitting in the front row of like an auditorium and my dad's giving a speech to like a bunch of talking about his career to a bunch of people and she's she was just mouthing this is boring <laughs> this is boring the whole time and so he's like so distracted by my like toddler sister saying this is boring over and over but yeah so I, I would say that this is boring attitude is what I had early on and after I went to the trials with him it would be like wait a second so you did what and then oh and you did what in what race and how did that trials race shake down and what was that workout you did with those legends and and I think that even when like when I went and raced those races myself, it makes it even more real. You know, you go to the pen relays and you realize like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like crowds are crazy. The, the race atmosphere is awesome. And then you find out that like, oh, my dad did some heroic stuff back there at pen relays. And then I'm like, oh, I call him up and I got to be like, so wait, what happened in that, in that race? And then of course my dad's like, oh, here we go. Now you want to know, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'll tell you what happened. And he just gives you the whole, the whole rundown. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been cool to kind of learn more and more and have the sport be unfolded to me in this sort of way and always have someone to turn to as a mentor, my dad and my mom, just who know so much about the sport. And it's just like a really, it's a huge, I'm blessed with an amazing resource in them. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Has that also played into the reason? I remember you had some very weird or crazy like travel schedule, like maybe in the last two years where you went out to Oslo and then like you ran in like the Diamond League and it was the Dream Mile, yeah. right? Um, out there. And I was like, well, obviously your dad ran in that race. So did that factor into like, but then at the same time, it was like sandwiched in between like a couple different races where your travel yeah. schedule was a little bit weird. Are you doing some things because it's like you also want to experience like something like that? Well, absolutely. I, the, yeah, the, the Oslo was, I, I mean, I, I raced like in Finland a week before that and then raced in at pre like a few weeks later. So it wasn't the craziest travel schedule, but anytime you have an opportunity to run in the Oslo Diamond League, you're gonna. And that was, again, up there, one of the crazier and more electric atmospheres I've been in. So, but it was absolutely really cool to be in that, in that stadium. And it's sort of a, it's yeah it's like you know these places like the old hayward field and and oslo bislet stadium are they just have like an aura about them and like a, you can just tell that special things happen there they just have a feel like fenway park and whatever i know i do a lot of red sox references sorry go sox. <laughs> but uh yeah it just has like a, this vibe to it and this feel and, and i think that it was amazing to run in that in that environment and i've gotten that opportunity and yeah to be in that same race my dad ran his pr all those years ago and so really thankful for the BU track for giving me that opportunity <laughs> to have run at that Oslo meet. Um, what you mentioned like all the stories that like your dad would tell 
Is there one yeah. that's a particular favorite or one that, you know, when you had friends over, you'd be like, dad, can you, you have to tell them this story. <laughs> um, no, I didn't have anything. I, I really don't have it. I mean, he, I've, I've heard lots of really cool stories about like heroics and him kicking people down and, and running really impressive times but I'd say a lot of the stories that we like to tell are ones that have to do with our relationship in the in the sport and so like a real famous one is my dad ran like one marathon he ran the Ocean State Marathon and he's like all right I'm gonna run the marathon I'm gonna start training and maybe like cause it's like 96 I think and so he's like I'm gonna run the time to run the, the trials and um and so he did he won the race he ran like 215 or something like that like great range and uh and he finished it was like a hot day and he like it was like a sprint finish and he like crossed the line he collapsed on the ground and and so we get swarmed by all like the press and then like the emt or whatever everyone's like coming to coming to his rescue and he's like sprawled out on the ground he's like delirious and apparently like i, I run through the crowd and i like push everyone out of the way and run up to his side and everyone's like oh like people are excited that like the little son's gonna say something cute or do something cute and i just and i just shook my dad and i just like pointed and i was like Dad, you got to see this dog. There's this dog <laughs> over here. It's huge. There's a huge dog. And I'm like, come on, Dad. Like, get up. What are you doing? And so, like, that's a big one. Like, things like that. These sort of funny instances where there's this grand thing happening. And, and I'm there kind of just as circumstantially, just as, like, a little kid and just sort of not understanding that, like, the, gra- like, the magnitude of what's happening. And, and, yeah, so it's – that was probably a good uh, – that's probably a good metaphor for the entire first like half of my life relating to the sport. Like I'm like interested in the giant dog and my dad just won the marathon. (laughs) That was yeah, that's about it. But no, as far as like heroics and things like that, my my dad, my parents are just like pretty humble people when it comes to this sort of thing. So you just really have to learn from actually it's from other people that I usually hear the really cool stories and, you know, from the snippet here and like the little piece of an article there that you read and that sort of thing. So that was really how I learned a lot. Yeah, but it's really it's easy. Yeah, it's really yeah. easy to just kind of like fall into the trap of being like, oh, you know, these father-son moments are awesome. But on your mom's side too, it's like, what, yeah. what, were, what were some of the moments that you remember very early on? Yeah, I used so my mom to this day, like, so my parents, you know, both still still active runners, and I would say the the thousands of miles have probably taken a slightly larger toll on my dad because he's a little more of a high mileage guy. I think, and my mom's sort of like the natural like you know gazelle sprinter type. And she started out as like a 200 meter runner and that sort of thing. So she still got a lot of pep in her step and she still, she'll like, she'll like drop my dad on runs and stuff like that. It's great. And, uh, but I remember she used to like go to the track and put spikes on and run 200s. And I remember a big thing growing up was that I used to, and she was like really fit. And I used to love to show my friends, have my mom flex like her bicep to my friends. Be like, mom, show my, show my friends your biceps. And she'd go, oh, and like, and flex like really hard and they would be like whoa because she had like huge biceps and or not huge you know she was just like cut and uh and so I, I was like super proud of that which is a really funny thing is you don't usually have like the my dad you have the bet you have the my dad can beat up your dad thing but I had like the my mom is cut and could destroy you in a race thing <laughs> <laughs> what went into the decision then to attend Columbia because I mean again yeah. it was like Georgetown you could just continue following in the footsteps yeah yeah the, yeah the word in the street was that gags like offered me a full ride when I was born um to Georgetown but I I didn't take him off on it <laughs> but no I uh 
he was he was long gone from Georgetown by the time I was looking at colleges. But um, no, yeah, I just it never really crossed my mind to. I mean, it crossed my mind to go to Georgetown, but I I just didn't get in contact with them. And I think kind of fitting along with this whole sort of I don't know trend that has to do with my parents and my running. I I didn't feel any need to sort of continue that tradition. I thought that yeah, it was great. They did a great job there, but hasn't really stuck out to me that somewhere I want to go to school so I'm not going to worry about it and um yeah so I was more about a lot of other looking at a lot of other schools like I said the Naval Academy and UVA and a few other places like that and in Columbia just uh just stuck out to me I think sometimes you just have a gut feeling about things and you just got to follow it and I just uh the, the way that the team was there and the way the coaches were and they obviously had Kyle Merber which is like at the time <laughs> it was like huge no, I'm just kidding but Kyle's a dear friend of mine but he uh but no again like guys like him on the team were were super influential to me when I visited them and the way they treated each other and treated me and it just seemed like it was a, a great situation um oh man my sorry my thing just said it was gonna die um yeah so uh and yeah I just followed my gut and and I knew that they were building a good program and obviously academically speaking it's a great school so I was sort of a go-getter academically, and the opportunity to go to Ivy League school was one that I was really, really interested in taking. And I love New York City, and I like this, you know, growing up outside of Providence. I am sort of an urban guy in that regard, so I, I just followed my gut, and uh, I'm glad I did. I think one of the key things from your college days is that people forget that you, you steepled a bunch, and you even have yeah. like a, a HEPS title from it. Yeah, I took a crack at that. I took a crack at that. I got an Ivy League title under my belt. Um, but it's hard, man. It breaks you down. It breaks you down. I would say that is one area where I was like, maybe I'll follow in the old John Senior tradition and try the steeplechase. And then I like, I think I ran all in all like four steeples or something. And but I, yeah, I picked up an Ivy League title, which was which was huge. And, uh, and I'm proud of it. But it just the mile just seemed like it was calling me more and it was easier <laughs> and you kind of mentioned before just kind of the the losses that you racked up or just like kind of like the yeah. the taking self-inventory of like things not going your way you yeah. even mentioned like cross-country not mm-hmm. being so hot yeah. at times yeah what, what did that change at all sort of like your outlook on the sport because you know eventually there is a turning point where you do see start to see some sort of success but it took maybe what, what did it take to get to that point yeah I think that my career has been sort of a, a valley I think any or in a lot of runners you find that early on okay you're you know you're a big fish in a small pond and you're you're racking up wins and in your conference and you're you know you're the man in high school because you can like win all your dual meets and you can double and triple and that sort of thing so you do get a lot of confidence there and then uh, you just go to I, I think like a lot of people do, it's very rare to make a direct impact and just be crushing it from freshman year. You know, not all of us are Chris Derrick just getting out there and like being the man like from day one. But uh, no, I think I, yeah, I had, to, I had to, you know, be taught some lessons and have it, have it handed to me a few times. And I think that's just how I, I grew. And, and early on at Columbia, I think I was, you know, you have to find the balance and you have to find your own reason for, having desire to be a good runner and I you know it was just all coming naturally I didn't really have to think about it in high school but then you get to college and you find that like okay there's a lot of other things you can do a lot of fun things you can do especially in New York City 
and the schoolwork is like it can it can strain on you and that sort of thing. So I'd say early on I I didn't have the balance down and, and I saw a lot of you know failures or whatever or missteps because of that and and what didn't really realize how how hard you have to work. So I'd say a realization of finding the balance and being able to prioritize like what's important, what isn't important, at least in school and in life and, and whatnot, and just and focusing on how hard you're going to have to work in order to get good uh, was huge for me because then you realize like, no, 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 you need to run like a lot of miles. You need to run hard workouts. And, and this is not an easy sport when it comes to getting to the pinnacle. And, you know, so you go to a race like NCAA cross and you've had, a, I've had a few good cross races and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but I've only, I haven't been running much mileage or anything. And, and then sure enough, you get, you get destroyed. And then you're like, all right, okay, to be good at a longer race, you have to train a lot and run a lot of miles. So that teaches you that lesson. And then I'd say that like, there's these little snippets I've picked up along the way that, and most of them have to do with just living the right lifestyle, doing the little things and working really, really hard. Cause even the guys who are like the top dogs, they'll make it seem like it's easy but it ain't and the more the more you can grasp that the more you can wrap your mind around it the more success you're gonna have because even in the headline that like track and field news like mentioned you i think they they described you as like a late bloomer when it came yeah. to uh yeah. the sport Definitely, um, yeah. you still had some eligibility once you closed the you know the book on your your time at columbia yeah. How did you, I guess, convince Andy Powell to take a shot <laughs> on you? Because if if we go back and look at the, you still hadn't broken four. Yeah. No. And what I find very interesting about some of the Oregon success stories is just that, it, and it might just be because, you know, he's a teammate of mine. It's like the Daniel Wynn success stories where he's yeah. able to do a lot with, you know, a yeah. lot of untapped potential. You know, you got the same thing with Colby. What yeah. was it that, Andy you think you think saw in you and that you also saw in in him and the program that could help you get to that next level yeah I think well Andy he even recruited me when I was like in high school like he came and tried to get me to go to Oregon from you know by the time I was graduating high school and I I didn't take him up on it and then uh he had had a connection with Columbia through the coaches there um because he had volunteered there along like really early on in his his career and he just, uh, you know, so we, the coaches knew him and they reached out to him and, and he was quick. He's always had a ton, ton of faith in me. I'm so like grateful for it. I don't know. I'm not sure you asked what he saw in me. And, and maybe it's just that, I don't know. He just maybe thinks, uh, likes the way I run or something. I don't know. But he, he's always had a ton of faith in me. And I think he, he likes his New England guys. He's a Massachusetts guy. He's from a few minutes from Seekonk. Um, so he knows. Yeah, I mean, he knows that up in up in the Northeast, we grow them tough or something like that. But he he had a ton of ton of faith in me and just gave me a shot and said, yeah, like I emailed him and he got back to me like immediately and was like, yes, absolutely. Like, come on out. We'd love to have you. So he gave me that shot. And I just I think I just used it. And I think a lot of people, you know, they get. A lot of people go to these schools end up like they have like a ton of talent and I think they're just used to being great and everything in, in a great in an even bigger way than what I was talking about earlier from when you're in high school but you go in there and you don't realize how good you have it when you're that young I think like you just go to Oregon and you're like yeah of course you get massages and, and they take care of you and they like you know they give you the itinerary for every meet and they tell you when to go where and that sort of thing and I think that I really saw those resources and saw how hard the coaches worked and saw how much talent I was surrounded by and I was able to be like wow like all right you know, Columbia had a lot going for it. 
in its own right in its own ways, but they definitely didn't pour as many resources into their athletic department. So, you know, I come to Oregon and I see that they have the massage therapist and they, and Andy's like, you know, excellent coach and he's, he's always learning and always like implementing new things and always keeping track of his past training and, and using it on, you know, more like learning from failure, honestly, and learning from experience. And, and so he's like got this system that just works that can just take a 401 guy and just make him a 357 guy, like, bang so I just bought into that and just I think I lived the lifestyle I started doing the little things more and more and and just embraced what Oregon had to offer and uh and the teammates I had with yeah like Daniel and Colby and Ed Cheserek Eric Jenkins Wilgo Hegan just this like unbelievable group of guys to train with on a daily basis and I think it was just a a perfect storm of things coming together and uh I'm, I'm super grateful to Andy to this day I'm actually talking to the Huskies later on on uh I'm going to be on a Zoom call with them. So I'm always excited. It's awesome. Favor. Yeah. How did you know your place on that team when there's just so much talent and it's like every workout could turn into a race or just in some <laughs> way, like, you know, yeah. people measuring up against one another for no reason. How did you know where you belonged and also just yeah. kind of when to not put your foot on the gas the entire way? I think that so there's a remarkable camaraderie there and I think that it's a I don't know I mean I'm sure there are times when there's too many stars or too many big names in a group and and they people clash and that sort of thing but we really didn't have that much of that at, at Oregon I think again that's a testament to Andy and the kind of the culture he he created and keeping everybody humble and as far as the way I fit into it I just yeah definitely Ed, Ed had already won NCAA titles and Eric was already on fire and team and they didn't need me in terms of like they didn't need the points at NCAAs so I think I was just willing to fall in line and just learn from them and and do my part as sort of an older guy and just in terms of the lifestyle things when I see the younger guys like partying a lot or anything like that I can just be like hey you know I can give my own advice about I used to do that too and didn't work out that great for me you should check the NCAA results from you know a few years ago (laughs) and stuff like that so I think that I uh, just imparted a little bit of my own wisdom that came from age and having come from the east coast and then as far as the running went I just yeah definitely shut my mouth and got in line and in the reps and just tried to hang on and um and it worked out yeah what was your final year of eligibility I'm trying to remember from Oregon uh 2015 was the yeah 2015 and then you yeah I remember your first pro summer I think was that summer when we were all in Europe no, it wasn't. I, I got, I had got right at the end of my senior year, I got, I got hurt. And, um, and so I didn't, didn't run that summer. I just trained in, in New Jersey and, and got ready for the, the 2016 uh, campaign. But I remember seeing you guys. Yeah. Like, it was like Ford, <laughs> me. Yeah. And here, and you, everyone came back from that and like that trip and like, there was all these crazy stories. You guys had all matching shirts <laughs> and I was like, and there was all pictures of everyone. And I remember you you put up a picture I think it was on Twitter and it was like it was all of these great runners in a shirt and all like your in the floral shirt. print shirt yeah the, it was Ford's idea in the square and Lubin and it yeah. was like 20 guys or something and I think you, you titled it the future of distance running <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't in it oh shit I, I was just like yeah nothing against you you were just having a good time making coming up with a fire caption but I took that to heart you know like Michael Jordan I took it personally and uh and so I was like wow all right like I'm gonna prove Chris wrong 
Wow. <laughs> and that was where all my motivation came from. No, but I, I just remember seeing that and being like, all right, I need to get to work. I need to get healthy. I need to take care of myself if I'm going to be like able to, A, have these fun experiences and be in Europe and, and be wearing matching floral shirts with Chris Chavez. <laughs> but also be able to like compete in those, that, those level of races that were going on. So it was, um, yeah, that, that summer was definitely a, a, another wake up call again, you know, another, another minor setback followed by, I just worked that much harder that fall and then came in 2016 and we were, we were on fire. The boys yeah. were hot. Well, yeah, because exactly that 2016 trials, I hear Daniel Wynn talk about it all the time. The 1500 <laughs> meter final was just like so heavy with Oregon runners. Yeah, it was. That must have been wild. special, I guess, like for you. And then like from there, yeah. uh, you don't make the Olympic team, but how did you assess and grade that year, given like what that comeback process was like? Um, yeah, it was, I, I trained hard all that, went, all, all that, you know, uh, fall and winter and had kind of gained some momentum and had at that point, again, I, with the way I was now, they had no academic stress and no, nothing stopping me from just living the complete lifestyle of a pro runner. And so I think I was seeing a lot of results from that. And again, surrounding myself with people who I saw as, you know, like people who were better than me and people who I could look up to and chase. And, uh, and so I had Don Cabral, you know, with me and we had, Kyle and, and Ford and, and like Nicole Tully had just won the 5k the year before so it was a, it was an elite squad and I was just again putting my head down and working hard and just getting in line and uh, and yeah it it built up and I was PRing with every race and qualified for the trials and all that and uh, it was a crazy crazy time the Olympic trials I'm glad to have at least like gotten the exposure to that when I was that age and and I don't think I I can't I can't honestly say I went in thinking like this is it this is like I'm a lock for this Olympic team or something like that because I didn't have the standard or anything like that I was just like this is going to be a battle and I'm just going to battle every every race I get into and so that's what I did and uh and I yeah I was I was proud of it I think that by that third day and third race in four days your legs are just like completely cut out from underneath you and you you have to be really really strong to be able to run that final race and and I just gave it everything and yeah came up with a sixth place finish and uh, we had a great duck representation in that race, which was a lot of fun. And they at Hayward, they always announced me as like or all American at Oregon. And I always am like, and they they never and all the Columbia fans in the crowd are like, oh come on. But of course, I'm like yes, like at Hayward, hundred percent. You need ducks. the magic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And so, uh, yeah, no, that was a it was a great stepping stone, and and it just showed me that I could be one of the better guys in the country and just propelled me onward and into the following years. Yeah. I know how you mentioned like your training group. It's, you know, you have Don who's made an Olympic team. You had Kyle yeah. who's like right up there in terms of with PRs right with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, it's tough because it's like the team has a sponsorship. So it's not, you can't be, you can't claim like total blue collar because there is like some, some funding yeah. behind it. But in oh, yeah. the grand scheme of things, how do you guys sort of like approach is it practice or like competition knowing it's like you guys aren't like the nike oregon project who yeah everyone has like the fanciest things or when when they were around it's not bowerman where it's sort of like you have to take account of like the roster and know that you can only have like three 5k guys or else you have five you know guys fighting for (laughs) olympic team spots and so it's like there's a little bit of a chip on your guys shoulder as like the east coast grinders who don't who'd make do (laughs) 
with as much as they have it's it's a little yeah it's not it's like you guys don't have a million dollars behind you that's the thing so it's yeah, like no. what how do you how do you see your group in the grand scheme of things i think so over my time with the club um you know gags has definitely fostered a a culture like the culture of us being a family he's always willing to give someone a chance and he's always get willing to let someone you know come on and take a crack at it and that's how I got my start with the team and I'm always so grateful for it and I think that we don't necessarily while like over the years the training has gotten harder and we've evolved and we've learned and tried to like you know those groups that you mentioned um do some incredible things and they run some incredible races and and they train a certain way that we we look at you know look up to and, and aspire to train like um but at the same time i'm not sure that we've ever tried to be those teams or you know it's like yeah they they do their thing that's great they got the they got their thing going for them out in, in portland or wherever they are in eugene and and we're us and we're a family and i think that if you've ever spent time with nj and y there's definitely a different sort of vibe and there's a very like close familial you know like these are your brothers these are your sisters and we've always been super close and we stay in touch with people who, who move on and retire and and we welcome newcomers and I think you know it's a there's that sort of spirit of a, of of family and it's and it's and Gags was so successful as a college coach and I think he does foster a little bit of that as well whether it's like conscious or not of like creating sort of like that culture of like oh college team we need to like work together we're going to stick together we're going to bring each other up and I think there's a lot of that that that's what kind of inspires us and I don't, and while we joke around about like being blue collar or whatever that's like, it's like you get an ice bath, you get a massage and you run some miles. It's all the same. You know, it's like, while certain, there might be certain shoes and things like that and whatever, like differences, that's not a big deal. It's, it's, we're all just working hard. So I would say just that we get all of our confidence just from knowing that we just care about each other. And, uh, and you just really have this like super tight group of friends, really. That's uh has this bond and that's kind of what we I don't know I think that's where we draw a lot of our inspiration and that's that's and it's always it feels great to run fast afterwards let's just say the NJNY after the race situation is is always a legendary one what is how have you seen like your role change like especially in the last like two years because it's like I kind of look at the roster on NJNY and like there's a lot of you know people fresh out of college and yeah. at the same time it's like Merber's like the elder statesman and you're right there <laughs> with him uh but at the, but you you're still in the prime of your career how has that been sort of kind of being a leader among this team that is still it, it, like the average age is probably fairly young yeah I um I don't know I just I like we do keeps you young of, for sure <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely we, we definitely have a lot of young blood I see the I see the differences in lifestyle. I'm, I'm a married man, and uh, and you know, I have I have my own sort of more quiet, reserved life that I live now compared to when you when you're 22, 23, coming out of college or anything like that. So, um, I would say definitely they keep me young, and a lot like my role was at Oregon. I think I just try to do my best to impart some of my wisdom upon some of those guys and some of the stuff I've learned throughout throughout the way, and. And again, try to learn as much as I can from their young, like, you know, just competitive, energetic spirits. And uh, I'd say it's a great, it's, it's really nice to have that dynamic. And I'm sure a lot of those pro teams have the same, the same thing happening all the time. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I still think, I still think I got a lot of gas left in the tank. And I still look up to a lot of people, a lot of other people. 
and uh, and depend on a lot of other people. And I depend on those teammates too, because they're the ones who are going to help us through hard workouts and, and whatnot. So there's always this, uh, while there's obviously a rank and file that happens just purely based on like, who's better at running, <laughs> there's definitely also like a mutual respect of like, no, 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 I understand you are in the same situation I was in where you're coming out here and you're taking a chance and, and you're putting your life on hold. So I respect that very much so. And uh, now go to the front and lead this entire all out. <laughs> <prep. laughs> so, yeah. We kind of straight off kind of your career trajectory after the trials, but 17 is like the big year. Yeah. Um, USA's 2017, your kick down the final stretch is probably still one of the most impressive things. <laughs> Um, I've oh, seen yeah. what take me through 200 meters to go and like what that was like because if you watch yeah. that race it's like okay up front I believe it was yeah. Robbie and Centro one mm-hmm. two very clear mm-hmm. and then from there it's angles is is coming in pretty hard yeah. and it might it, was it just a dive at, not, not a dive at the line but like the lean yeah. at the line or it's like that final hundred that you had got the job done I think you know, there's a lot of that could be thought in a lot of ways. It could be, you know, broken down. And I just was really just feeling in great shape. And I was just in a great place. And I just uh, fully believed in myself and everything. And, and I remember in the rounds, I was like, with like 150 or 120 to go in the rounds, I like I ran super confidently. And I, I just came around the shoulder of like Centro and Sam Prakel and we just like blasted down the home stretch. And I remember just with like 50 to go feeling so good and just being like the thought crossed my head, like, I'm going to make this team. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I went into that final with that same sort of mentality and, and same sort of like feeling. And I was completely relaxed and completely present in the moment. And with like 600 to go, I got jostled like pretty bad. And like, cause I, I ran it pretty confidently. If you watch, I'm like up there in the mix and feeling good. And, and I get like, knocked around a little bit by a, a few guys and I get kind of shot to the back and I'm like oh geez so but I think I just refused to let that be the end you know I think I just wanted to go a lot of guys had gone hard like from like 500 out I remember Ben Blankenship yeah. had like, they really made a hard move and and so I knew like that was like man these guys have been whipping for a long time up front and I, they're gonna come back and I just refused to let that be the end of it so I just I went crazy and I think from 300 to go to 200 to go the my coach Tom O'Hilly clocked me. I think I was like 24 high or something for that 200. It was like something wild. And, uh, and yeah, whatever the last 400 was, was pretty quick too. But I just remember like thinking like, Nope, I can catch another guy. I can catch another guy. I can catch another guy. And they're, they're flying by and I just pulled into the home stretch and I just saw that. Yeah. The, the opportunity to get third place was there and, uh, and we just, we leaned for it and I, I nabbed it and it was just kind of like shocked myself. And once again, showed that I could, operate on that level and that I I deserve believe that I deserve to be there and believed I had earned it you know sixth place at the trials third place the next year it was a, a natural progression and uh and yeah it was a it was it was a wild thing and um and there this or here's a fun little so yeah me and Craig had like leaned at the line and this is only in professional running could this be the thing because uh the following week we had to we went to like the track town festival right. or the track town portland event or whatever and uh because you needed the time still yeah the track town summer series oh i I had the time and everything okay so but yeah robbie needed the time but anywho like we stayed in portland for a week in an airbnb and me and craig (laughs) who i just leaned for the team like leaned for the spot spent a week 
like sleeping two feet from each other in like a room <laughs> like we were roommates in an airbnb and i was like this is so funny can you, like can you imagine like any other sport like the two guys on opposing teams just being like all right now we're gonna sleep in an airbnb next to each other for a week but uh i think that it started i mean i'm great friends with him and it started off a, a great relationship with him and and uh he's a great guy and he's obviously had a lot of success since and now i'm you know looking up to him too trying to trying to game trying to be like be like these guys so um yeah I mean that was it that that 2017 race was was nuts and uh just trying, trying to get back there Chris oh how do you how do you assess that that kind of you you mentioned that final lap or the last 600 to go yeah. there's a balance you have to strike there with you know self-belief one in your kick and yeah. then two risk assessment of just like I don't want to go with this guy how do you strike yeah. that balance where, you know, it worked out in your favor, but yeah. where does that experience and that, like, uh, the knowledge come from there? Yeah, so on that day, I mean, yeah, you do gain a feel for how far you can make it and that, when how much gas you've got, certainly with time and experience. And I don't even know if I had the experience for it. I Again, like I said, I got jostled pretty bad. And, and who knows if I hadn't gotten sort of knocked around and, like, had to take a couple stutter steps and move back in the pack maybe I do go too soon with those guys and maybe I do end up feeling the burn. So I think I had just been set back enough and been forced to conserve that little extra energy that I was able to, it wasn't, there was no calculations going on of risk reward. I was sending it, you know, I was like, I was wide open in the stride. So I think that, you know, like race plans go out the window pretty quickly once you're, once the heat of the moment happens and, and you just have to be ready for anything. And, I think I just had the plan of just being up there, being up there. And when the move's made, I'm going to cover it. And the same thing everyone else is thinking. And, uh, and I was met with a different situation and I just was like, all right, this isn't going to be the end. I'm going to, while other times, you know, anyone or myself has let it be the end. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm making this team. And so I just uh, went crazy (laughs) for 50 seconds. You go to world's, I kind of want to pick your brain on like, what was that like making your first senior team and just taking in like the whole atmosphere because yeah, for one, it's awesome. And at the same time, it's a business trip. And I think when I had Jenny on the podcast, she was just kind of like, it's it's always awesome to see. And like, I think she goes out of her way to sometimes, you know, tell the people who have made their first team, like just really soak in the moment and enjoy it. Yeah. What was, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was, um, I remember having just a ton of, I think that when you, when you get that opportunity, it's like, in everyone's mind, and as runners, we always want, you know, the next thing. We always want to like be better and better and, and, and do the next great thing. And, but I do think I really, in my heart, wanted to not just like show up and have like a good time and, and get to wear the uniform and that sort of thing. I, I think that I was, I took it very seriously that I had that spot on that team and that there were guys who I beat and who have represented the country and, and represented it well in past years. And so I was like, all right, this is my turn. I need to, I need to rep these colors very well. And while I definitely soaked it in, like to this day, like the feeling of walking out onto the track, like for the final and that sort of thing, like I can just remember every little bit of it and it, and it feel, and it's like such a cool memory to have and such a great experience to have. But I was like all in on making that final. I was like all in on like being in shape. Like, like I, I, I got to work once USA's was, was over and uh it was definitely in like the best shape you know of my life up until that point so I I just took it super seriously and yeah and Jenny and a lot of those older older uh, folks on the team who have made tons of teams and had so much success 
gave me tons of advice and, and tons of just, you know, like help you just relax and, and the USATF like support team they have of like the medical folks and whatnot are just like unbelievable. And they make it super easy to only have to worry about your race. I'll put it that way. And so it was, uh, it was just a, an unbelievable experience and it kind of changed the way I looked at like the goals and like what I want to be as a runner. Cause it, it makes you like, no, this is the stage that we're working for. And, uh, I, every year since that, I've definitely had that same mindset of like, this is the ultimate goal is representing your country. And boy, is it a special feeling like, and, and when you do get the opportunity, make the most of it. And when the goal was to, to make the final, you did. Yeah. yeah. That race, is it just like from there, it's <laughs> exhaust whatever's left in the tank? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I remember like hanging out after the race and, uh, and after the, the, semi and so we had, I had made the final and I remember Nick Willis uh like just you know we were just chatting with the guys putting our shoes back putting our warm-ups back on and he asked like some of the Kenyan guys what they were like what the plan was he's like so what's the plan fellas like what are we doing on you know in two days and they were just like looked at him dead serious and they were like we're gonna run 330 <laughs> so <laughs> and I'm sitting there in between them like looking back and forth between them just like oh my gosh like I was so excited about but like all right cool we're gonna we're gonna get a nice little PR here and uh and so it was it was awesome it was intense and it was a battle yeah it's it's those international races are so exciting and elbows are flying the crowd's roaring um and like you know chris o'hare was in the race and he's the, he's the you know representing the uk and like they they go nuts when he when he gets announced and it was just like this insane atmosphere and yeah and the race was definitely just like wide open we actually they they meant to, i think run like an all-out 1500 like they did like chariot did this past year but they got a little like caught up in the beginning so they only went out in like 60 and then their last like 1k is like 218 or something like crazy so I ran a 1K PR, I think, or a 1200 PR for the last 1200. So that was a nice little thing to take away. I closed in like 250 for 1200, I think. That's so, wild. It, it, does that change kind of when, you, when you're starting on, are you standing on that starting line? Yeah. And you've already heard the rumors, these guys want to run really fast. Yeah. Is it just yeah. more of like you have to let your guard down and be like, all right, I am going to go with the flow here? Or how do you come up with your own plan knowing this yeah. is going to hurt? Yeah, I was just um, definitely just keeping an open mind and just was like, I'm going to stay relaxed. And I just, uh, if these guys are going to run 3.30, then I know that I know my abilities and whatnot. And, and I know how I can run my best race. And I was definitely planning on, you know, working my way up through the race and, and running it in a, in a more even way. And you do just have to run, you know, your best race. And, uh, and I think I was just, being realistic with myself because I was at that point I was in the final and I was a little bit more I think like enjoying the moment and understanding like all right like there may come a day when 330 for the win is the plan but today's plan is just to like finish as high up as possible and, and represent the country as well as I can so I just went to the line like just run with everything you got everything you got left whatever that is, is what that is. And that's all you can ask out of yourself right now. And I think I, I did that. And I was so tired, like the most tired I've ever been after that race. It was, it was crazy, just in every way possible, physically and emotionally and, and mentally and all that. So it was uh, in terms of like uh, an experience to have that just maxes out everything possible in terms of like the adrenaline and the stakes and, and whatnot. And, but I do remember thinking 
standing on the starting line and like one really funny thought crossed my head. I was like, I don't think I've ever been in a race where like if I won this race, like wow, it would be great. <laughs> I, you know, it'd be so great if I won this race. I remember that popped into my head, which is like such a funny thing to of course it would be great to win the world championships, but usually you don't when you're standing on the line of like the B heat at like, you know, some random invite, you don't have the thought of like, if I win this race, my life will never be the same. <laughs> How long is that thought, though? Is it just like... Yeah, no, that, was just a, that was a funny, like, fleeting kind of thought that I was like, oh, yeah, like, okay, let's get to work. It's, gonna, it's also going to be an all-out 1500, so time to buckle up. Well, before kind of we move on from that, so you yeah. witnessed the conversation with Willis and the Kenyans. Yeah, yeah. Once the Kenyans walk away, what yeah. is Willis's reaction to Is like, well, that's just a bluff, like, or <laughs> is it, like, taken seriously? Yeah. And, no. and you're just, you're the, you're the rookie on the scene yeah uh, in, in terms of just like first world championships experience what are you yeah. making what are you making of this whole entire thing i think i think i can't i i'm honestly i don't remember what the response was or what happened after that i think we just kind of like moved on and and but i i i would i will say that throughout that whole process and throughout my whole career nick has been someone i've looked up to a ton and just has like this great outlook on the sport and everything so he was someone throughout that whole whole championships that i i think i was like looking to and watching, you know, even I'm like watching him warm up and I'm like, okay, when, what's he going to do? When's he going to wait for his warm up and that sort of thing. So it's always nice to have these people again, every stage of your career, whether it's like seeing you on your high school cross country team or Nick Willis, the one you look up to and like chase, he was someone who I was like keeping me even keeled. And I can't remember exactly like the words of advice he had for me, but he's always been someone who like is a great guy to like key off of and, and know that he's going to, he's going to make the right move in the race. He's going to, he's going to calculate things correctly. And, and yeah, he's just the man. So he was a great guy to have at the championships with me. And, and yeah, in that moment, that was like a special moment. I think I even asked for a picture of like all of us in that moment too, which was kind of funny. I was like, can I get a picture of all of us? And, <laughs> so somewhere deep in the archives is like a picture that's like, let's just say a, a star studded and controversial crew of guys. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah. So, that was it was cool cool moments cool moments in the sport how do we unpack the last two years 2018 2019 yep. because there's a balance there of yep. injuries and and yeah. grief that come into the picture yeah absolutely uh yeah definitely i would say that the our sport is cutthroat absolutely and i think that at times it all does boil down to one race um and that is the U.S. championships, you know, for like what we work towards and whatnot. And I think that these past two years have been a, definitely a story that mirrors the rest of my career in the sense that I've had valleys and thing, you know, tough things that have happened and then ways I've bounced back from them. And, and, and just it just so happens that the, the two U.S. championships in 2018 and 2019, where I just finished towards the back, were just two times when it just was not was not happening that day and and you know there's plenty of ways you could describe it or plenty of ways you could unpack it but at the end of the day I just uh I just didn't get it done and I you know I walked away from both of those days thinking like this is just another step in this in this journey and I I don't think it has any bearing on my future as an athlete um so but yeah so I got I got ninth and tenth in those two U.S. championships and it was uh terribly uh disappointing but at the same time in the past two years i've i've gotten prs in many events and uh 
I think, you know, traveled the world and got more and more race experience. And, and these are all things that, that I'm going to use and, and yeah. And the injuries I've gone through and the personal uh, griefs I've had are all things that um, I've learned from, or, you know, not learned, you know, the grief I've not really like learning from, but more about just, you know, just being grateful for what I have and, uh, and just giving me a, a more like a closer love with my wife and my family and my friends and my running community. And then, you know, taking care of myself better when it comes to the injury stuff. And I'm, I've really, I've learned so much and I'm, I'm still using it now. And, uh, it's, it's resulting in some huge things happening in training. And, uh, you know, last year I was in the diamond league final. So I've had like good things that have come of it, but yeah, you're always going to, sometimes the world is just going to see the one stat on the page of that one championship. And they're going to be like, ah, he's done. You know, like the only person who can say that you're not done is you. So I continually tell myself that. And uh, I think 2021 will be pretty, pretty good. <laughs> well, so wait, it kind of, where's that, where's that chirping coming from? Oh, I mean, just from the reinforcement that I've had from times when I've, you know, I still surprise myself and still come through and run big mile PR out of, you know, not out of nowhere, but like believe in myself and on a, on a day in March and, and run a, a 349 and or like you know game with the big boys and in, in Oslo and and or have like you know good races along the way that I've just always and training along the way and encouragement and I've learned and and these things continue to inspire me on, on a daily basis and I still live the same lifestyle and do these same things spreading my goals and and I think I just still have the same fire and I don't care what anyone thinks or what you know any stats from one year say it's it's always it's always there in me so I'm uh I'm excited for what the future holds and yeah I just always have that that voice that voice chirping as you said (laughs) uh the indoor mile world record goes down you happen to be in the race so that's what steals the headline from your 349.98 because you just gave the American record a bit of a scare yeah. Take, take me through that race and kind of like why things came together again. Yeah, that was a, uh, a lot of people are curious how that, how that came to be. It's definitely an interesting situation. I, I was in, I think it was just like a great, perfect storm of, of being in a really well set up race on an admittedly fast track in great shape in a like, great mental place. I mean, my family was there. That was my brother, Patty was there and he was, that was the last race he actually came to and watched me run. And so I had all these loving supporters uh, on the sidelines and it was just this like great vibe. And I just knew something great was going to happen. And, uh, and the, the field was set up like so well, and we just had so many studs in there and, and obviously, you know, going for the world record. So I think I just, um, I took advantage of the opportunity, you know, there was an opportunity that day and there are times when, whatever's going on in your life and the opportunity slips through your fingers. But that day I, I caught it and I just, just, I, I was just three minutes and 49 seconds of like sheer self-belief. And I just knew I was going to run a PR at least my PR was like 353 low. And um, as the, tra- as the laps went on, I just remember like, I remember I did like a couple, I did like a 200 and before the race started on the track and I like looked down at my wall. I was like, oh, I'll run like whatever. I'm just going to stride at 200, but I'll time it for the heck of it. And I just, I, I promise I thought it was a 33 and I looked down and it was like a 27 high. And I was like, okay, well this might be, this might go really well. So yeah, I just 
stayed on stayed on the rabbit hard and we just with the coach's eyes were getting wider and wider as the laps went by and the and the crowd was getting louder and louder and I knew Yomif was on one. He was doing great. He was having a great race. I was proud of him. And I came through and there's like a fifteen hundred clock because Kajelcha was trying to like get like the 1500 world record simultaneously, which is, you know, you like, gotta love that attitude. <laughs> and, and so I saw my 1500 split going like 33, 34, 35 as I was coming through and my, my outright PR is 335 zero. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm like, I just PR in the 1500. And I just like, I was feeling great. My coach was like, giving, you know, doing the windmill arm, like coach Tommy, not gags, but uh, yeah, he was doing the windmill arm thing. And I was just like, sending it and uh yeah I, I totally shocked myself with that time I mean I came around there, there's that short turn around the final turn at BU and or it's like a short little straightaway and I came around the turn and I remember it being at like 44 45 and I was just like geez I'm gonna break 350 right now and I, I got it I, I put in like you can see in the video I put in these like crazy hard last like six steps to get it and uh and yeah and then the fun thing is that sometimes it just doesn't hurt at all you know, what I mean, you got to work hard and you got to, you got to believe in yourself and sometimes you got to dig deep, but sometimes it's just like when you are in the zone hard enough and it's going well enough, you just, I finished that line. I, I crossed that line. I wasn't even out of breath. It was just like, it was transcendent. <laughs> it was just a great feeling. And I was, I was experiencing the flow as they say, as the, as the meditation folks say, I was in a pure state of flow and it, and it paid off. And, uh, and yeah, it was amazing to have my teammates and coaches and and all all my loved ones there going going nuts. And it was uh, it was an exciting moment, a highlight for sure. Yeah, it's great. It's interesting to hear that because you know there's a mix of breakout performances that happen. I think of you know in the conversation I had with Chris Zielinski, it was just kind of like same exact thing as you. It's like those two yeah. hundreds right before the race where you're just striding out, just happened to yeah. be super quick. But then at the yeah. same time, there's the performances that happen when like you are just feeling like absolute dog shit. And like, oh, it's yeah, like, absolutely. It's yeah, like yeah. Woody Kincaid not wanting to do the 5K <laughs> and then all of a sudden running 1258. Oh, and what's that? He didn't want to do it? I don't even know about it. He was like feeling sick or something like that. I mean, he was oh, just telling wow. Jerry that he didn't want to do it. And it's like the, the Ford running the whole entire race with his shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Ford, Ford, like, right before that race was like, I'm so tired, I, I don't want to do this. And then, oh, no, that was a different race. That was like a couple years earlier, but yeah. He was like, I'm tired. I don't think I should do this. And he ran like 354 or something. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that definitely happens. And I think that's the body. Sometimes you just go into this little state of being a little lethargic before the race. And, and I think it happens at different times. It can happen two days before the race or it can happen, you know, five minutes before the race. And it doesn't have any bearing on your, on your, how you perform. I think that how you feel really doesn't have a bearing on how you perform. Um, you just have to always have the same mindset that like doesn't matter you're fit you've worked hard here's the opportunity you got this but I think that just on that day it was just sort of funny sort of like pointing towards something really special because there's times when you feel good and there's times when you feel crappy and it doesn't matter but then there's times when you just like walk a 27 second 200 and you're like oh boy I'm really excited and you're thinking like in a mentality like I'm about to rip a PR I'm about to crush this race and beat these guys and and I'm in great shape and it just everything was like everything was firing so but yeah you, de you definitely can't read into it too much that how you feel before we get into the final questions that I ask every yep. guest it's sort of um 
do so in the grand scheme of things now that you've had weeks and weeks to assess sort of you know get into a routine and knowing this is when the trials are going to be this is when the olympics are going to be in the grand scheme of things do you think you're one of those athletes who benefited from having the extra year to one get fit to get any sign of injury out of the way um, yeah. <laughs> and just kind of like you know the experience that you have to draw on like where you would you say if you classify people as winners and losers of the year of the olympics getting postponed you would fall into the winners category right i yeah i mean i just i was i was battling an injury when when the olympics were postponed and whatnot and that was obviously in the back of your mind like there's relief there or whatever but at the same time i think i was I fully believed I would be ready when the trials came and, and the trials would have been what a month from now I'm in great shape. So like, I do think that, and I had it all planned out of how I would race in late May and then I would, and I would race again in early June and I'd be ready to go for, for something big at the end of, at the end of the month. And I think that most runners you talk to will have that sort of mentality and just, and while a lot of people were terribly inconvenienced and, or terribly, you know, their careers have been, have been kind of really messed up by the postponement. Um, I think you, the most people you talk to will say like, you can't, I don't know. I don't, you just can't like think that way. I've always, you just have to have to have thought of yourself as having a shot and, and, uh, and yeah, and things change and, and you adapt and you get ready for the next one. But I'd say I was just as uh, faithful that I could, that I could pull it off and make this team in, in 2020 as I am in, in 2021. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously the right move that they moved it and, and whatnot. But I think, uh, you know, name a time and a place. Put a pair of jeans on. Let's have it next week on. Let's have it next <laughs> Saturday and I'll, I'll make this team. Like, let's go. <laughs> All right. Final questions I asked every guest. First one, what's okay. the meanest thing you've read about yourself on Let's Run.com? <laughs> oh, man. They, what do you mean? They did, they, like, they did, like, a whole thing on how I, like, blew it at 2019 oh that's right <laughs> they, they did a whole they did a whole uh whatever you want to call it a spread they did a front page spread about how i blew it with full race commentary and everything which i actually found so like hilarious it, it was just like it was good it was good comedy i mean it was just kind of like yeah it's all about how i waste my energy and and obviously the folks at let's run know everything about my life and they know everything <laughs> you know they know everything. They know that all that matters is that I didn't use my energy properly over the course of the 1500. And that's why I didn't win. So, uh, no, yeah, they've, they've roasted me and, uh, but you know, it's a, they're a publication. They can, whatever, I guess they, they say what they're going to say and I just don't listen and, and then we move on. So there's, I, I totally forgot about that article. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, let's run, you know, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, funniest drug testing story you've got? Oh, um, let's see. I've actually never had to. I've never had that the experience where I've had to take like a super long time, which I'm super super uh, grateful for. Talent. <laughs> That's the talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always just I always just get in there, and they have like a lot of times they have like soda and stuff like that, and I'll just go go crazy with like like sodas and stuff like that and Gatorades just to like get get it going but um no i mean it's always it's always good banter and it's always great like learning about these these people these folks who, who work the drug testing and they're always you know 
for the most part, great people, and they have lots of really cool stories. And they usually they usually have the really funny stories about everybody else. So that's usually what I what I get to take part in and get a lot a big kick out of. But um, but yeah, our sports agency, uh, the Flynn Sports, where, I, where I'm represented by uh, Brad Ewer is one of the agents who who works there, and he he like accompanied me through like the first time I uh when i were not the first time like after the world champs or after the uh usas in 2017 and and basically like from going knowing nothing about brad to knowing everything about his entire life because it's like a you know a three-hour process of like doing the whole thing so there's definitely a lot of uh friendships that are made in the drug testing area i'll put it that way that's awesome uh if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history uh, they don't have to be real. Assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you, uh, who would wow. it be and where would this run take place? They don't have to be a runner. Okay. Wow. Um, that is an excellent question. Um, I would say, oh, man, maybe like I'd love to go on a run with Barack. He seems like he'd be cool to go on a run with. I think uh, maybe like an Obama – like an Obama five miler around Central Park. That's a good one. I think I pick Central yeah. Park too. It's just like yeah, the perfect, right. like yeah, that's a good it. hour or so that you can get yeah. a run in. Yeah. And we could just talk about how we went to Columbia and he could just give me some advice. And I'm sure he just somehow knows like a lot about distance running or something <laughs> like that. So he could really he could really help me out there. But um yeah, I mean that's that's probably that's probably what I it's pretty I guess that's kind of kind of boring I bet people say really funny cool ones but yeah no just me and Barry O oh, just 7:30 pace lock it in next question that's, that's a good one um, <laughs> last one has nothing to do with running it's if you get 25 shots from half court uh, you you and you make one you win 25 million dollars if you don't make any you go to jail for 25 years would you attempt the shots 25 half court shots yeah. You all have I to can, make one. I can bear. I find so here's here's. I'm not a very good basketball player, and I find it impressive that with a slight flick of the wrist, those get like guys are draining three pointers because I have to put a decent amount of like oomph into a three <laughs> into a three. So if I have to put a lot of oomph into a three, and I'm and mind you, my my three point percentage is abysmal. I'm not gonna risk 25 years in the in the clinker. <laughs> No way, because I, I could barely get the ball to the hoop. So 100%, I'm going to pass on that. It was $25 million. Yeah. I mean, 25 Once you have, like, a living, uh, like, an amount of money that you can just survive on, how much happiness is $25 million going to bring you? No. Exactly. That's a smart answer. I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't think yeah. that. No. Um, all right, Johnny. Well, we wish you the best of luck in the uh, the Blue Jean Mile. People Thank can you. go to what is yeah. it? The link in your Instagram bio. Yep, yep. And or just, Twitter or Facebook, yep. depending on what you. What, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, if you if they want to donate to the cause, it would be obviously much appreciated. And if you want to watch it, it'll be on Instagram Live. It's um, on my account, six p.m. May thirtieth, and. Uh, I think we're gonna have. I think we'll have some color commentary by by the Merv himself. Actually. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and and it'll be yeah live on my Instagram. So check it out. It'll be a fun time, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna get after it. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. This is this is what uh, this is kind of like the Super Bowl of City of Smag, pretty much when <laughs> when, it, when it's finally all said and done. I'm glad you guys uh, like it better than the slow mile. 
Oh yeah, the slow mile. What do you what do you make of that? I'm just kidding. No, the slow mile's fun. The slow mile's fun. <laughs> but there's no glory in the slow mile, Chris. No, that's just. Uh, although I will say, like seeing Molly run. Well, the, the part that really got me was seeing her on the track, and then the yeah. people walking faster yeah. than her next to her. That I was, thought that was hilarious. There was a lot of uh, that was that was very funny. Molly's great. She she did a good job, champion in all things. So she did. Someone break her record in that though. There's a lot of people who have, like, run, like, one hour and stuff. But it's just, like, at some point, yeah. if you have to watch these videos and, like, they're just hopping in place. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. There's got to be exact rules to it. It's yeah. – but I will give it to those people. To have an hour uh, out there just doing this thing is pretty – Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it took an hour of their day to honor you and your <laughs> videos magazine. So. All right, Johnny. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks again to Johnny for taking the time to catch up. I'm psyched to see him run. I'm going to predict 359.89 will be his time for the Blue Jean Mile. It'll be the first sub four in Blue Jeans. Actually, I just don't want to be on the wrong side of history, so I'm going to go with a sub four. You can consider donating on the pages that he mentioned. I will include the links to those in the show notes. That does it for me on this episode of the pod. If you want to support us, pick up some merch by visiting SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. I'll also include the link to that in our show notes. There's some cool t-shirts, tank tops, whatever you want for the summer. Join the Sidious Mag Track Club and rep it. Again, feel free to shout us out on your Instagram stories. We'll repost it. And if you've got an extra minute, drop a nice review on Apple Podcasts. I'm always thankful for those. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running.